1: Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.
0: Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking.
1: Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says here's to our last drink of fossil fuels. May we vow to get off of this sauce. I'm Jonathan Strickland.
2: I'm Lauren Vogelbaum and our other co-host Joe McCormick is out today
1: yeah so it's a it's a once again a two person show. We've been playing kind of musical hosts,
2: yes, because
1: we all well, took vacations close to one another. It's
2: summertime, yeah. and it's nice to sweat in other places in your is hometown.
1: fantastic to go someplace else and be just as uncomfortable outside. <laughs> uh I with a I, better view, yeah, Hell. no, I was out by the ocean for a week and it really was nice and you guys did an awesome job uh holding down the fort while I was gone. oh thank you so, Jonathan yeah, I mean I that's one of the wonderful things about having two co-hosts any one person can be gone and still be confident that the show will go on yes, and, and so we are going to go on today we are with a topic that is one that I've been. I've talked about before on tech stuff. I've talked about it on the radio with uh, NPR. In uh-huh. fact.
2: Uh, you've written blog posts on forwardthinking.com. I
1: have. And we're going to talk about biofuels because it's a complicated topic. It's one of those that on the surface you think, oh, a, a biological alternative to fossil fuels. Perfect. Yeah. It's Do cut it. and dry. You know, obviously switch from one to the other. But as it turns out – when you get into the details, it's a lot more complicated than that.
2: Uh, yes. Also, biofuels have been in the news recently because on May 29th, the EPA proposed a new renewable fuel standard for the next couple of years. And th- this new proposal of theirs had been delayed so much, like since 2014 at least, because part of their proposal that just came out was for 2014.
1: Yeah. It's it's hard to propose things for the past.
2: I've, I've seen that bit referred to as Kafkaesque, yeah. and I can't say it I It could be basically. a little
1: Orwellian, too, like the yeah. retconning of actual <laughs> history.
2: Uh, well, it, it, did, it did match up with what was actually produced in 2014. Uh, but, but at any rate, um, uh, so it's seen all of these huge delays, um, so much so that fossil fuel and chemical groups sued the EPA for harm to the market over these delays. Right. Um, although getting this proposal out before June 1st settled that suit. Huzzah. Yeah. Um, and Better late than never. So, so this, this uh, proposal includes increases of the U.S.'s creation of renewable fuels by about 9 percent by the end of 2016, which falls short of Congress's mandate for, re- for renewable fuels that year. Hmm. Um, so basically, proponents of the standard are saying that it's not enough, and opponents of the standard are saying it's still too much. Yeah. And what does all of this mean? Let's, ba- let's back up just a wee bit. Yeah. And and discuss what the fuss is about these renewable fuels.
1: Yeah, because, again, the the name renewable fuel makes it sound incredibly positive. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that we're not relying on a resource that is deplenishing over time and will eventually reach a level where, because of the amount of energy we need to get at it, it will not make sense for us to use it as a fuel.
2: Uh, sure. I mean, and technically – Petroleum-based fuels are renewable, but just they're renewable. On a
1: geologic time scale, not a human one. Yes. Yeah. So – Problematic. If you have time to sit around for millions of years – Not an issue, but for (laughs) those of us mere mortals that have to get around in our day-to-day lives, we need something that's going to be a little more renewable for the long term. For us, short term for the galactic scale. (laughs) At any rate, biofuel. So bio tells you a lot about what we're talking about here. It is fuel that comes from living things. So sometimes we're talking about using living things directly as fuel,
2: uh, uh, and not like hamsters or something no, um but no. but usually plants of some kind or or algae,
1: yeah, yeah, the for example, I mean, the simplest form wood like you burn wood, that's fuel, yeah, so that would be one way or. You could also look at waste products generated by living things and using those waste products as a source of fuel. So there are a lot of microbes that will, while consuming their food, generate stuff that we can use as fuel as mm-hmm. a result. And we'll talk more about that. And biofuels can be in solid, liquid, or gas form. Uh, solids include refuse-derived fuel, which is just as pleasant as it sounds. <laughs> It's, it's fuel that you get from waste. Uh, solid waste, you generally want to get as much water out of that as possible for it to burn efficiently. Um, and uh, you can also use that specifically to make stuff like briquettes or pellets. You can make briquettes or pellets out of other stuff besides uh, the refuse-derived fuel, the RDF stuff. Uh, charcoal briquettes, as an example. Uh, and these are really efficient because of their surface area. They're, they're very efficient at burning, so they're very efficient fuel in that sense. Uh, and again, they also are designed to get as much water out as possible. So they burn thoroughly. Uh, you could also use sewage, treated sewage as fuel.
2: Oh, right, right. You don't want to just get a handful of it. Again, you're going to want to dry it out first because wet things burn less good.
1: Yeah. A lot of these things require some form of processing, which shouldn't come Mm -hmm. as any surprise. Oil's the same way. It's not like like we pull oil out of the ground and immediately put it in our cars. Uh, Industrial waste is another example and then the simpler stuff like, like wood. Actual wood being what the oldest fuel I can think of. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Uh, Okay, so that covers the solids. What about liquids?
1: The two big ones are biodiesel and ethanol and I've talked a lot about these in the past. If you've heard me talk about them, uh, these are really interesting and they are in use today. It's not like these are unusual products.
2: Oh certainly. In many states uh there's a ethanol requirement sure. in yeah. gasoline.
1: Absolutely, yeah. In there's the, gasoline. most most gasoline is a blend of gasoline and ethanol. Uh you also have a lot of places where biodiesel is uh is on is available, uh, specifically like in the Midwest, that tends to be where you really find it. Um, uh, and of course there are people who have either converted their diesel cars or have purchased an older model diesel car who run it on stuff like the grease they get from restaurants. This That made the news, I remember, back – gosh, I must have been maybe a few years out of college. Mm-hmm. So shortly after the sun uh, <laughs> shrunk down to its current size.
2: Right, right. Um,
1: no, anyway, it was uh, one of those moments where I, I, I heard you can run a car on like restaurant grease.
2: Uh yeah. I yeah. mean I I mean you shouldn't you probably shouldn't try to run your car definitely, yeah. on if, restaurant grease. If you
1: don't have a diesel vehicle, definitely don't. If you uh, do have a diesel vehicle, still you want to look into this.
2: Yes, do some research first.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, while, while your car might smell of delicious french fries, it may also not run anymore.
2: Oh, oh man, I just thought about <laughs> like like duck fat powered vehicles and how delicious how hungry I yeah, would be. <laughs> be
1: like all I need penang time. curry now. <laughs> uh yeah no it's it's one of those things where um uh there are actually a lot of issues uh that can come into it. for example, when the weather gets colder, this stuff can congel and congeal, mm-hmm. which means that it will no longer run uh,
2: it's not uh, a liquid so yeah, much anymore.
1: yeah, it's a gel, and that is a problem. but uh you know anyway, biodiesel uh usually is made in blends, like you'll get a blend of biodiesel uh b one hundred would be a hundred percent biodiesel, b twenty would be twenty percent biodiesel and eighty percent diesel. We'll talk more about that in a bit uh ethanol is an alternative to gasoline. Like Lauren said, it's also used as an additive in gasoline. So you get gasoline blends where 10% of it might be ethanol and 90% is gasoline. Uh, ethanol is created through the fermentation of sugars or lignocelluloses, which is biomass that is woody. It's the oh, woody plant stuff.
2: That's, that's a much easier yeah. thing to say.
1: Yeah. Than- it's, it's essentially cellulose and lignin. Uh, associated together. Excellent. So uh, okay. those, those are your two two liquids.
2: Okay, so liquids. Uh, and then gases.
1: Gases are typically a byproduct of some other um, process. So it's not something that you would, like biogas is not something that just is floating around the atmosphere that we would capture. Biogas is something that you would get from, uh, for example, heating up a biomass to the point where it gasifies. So when we talk about Plasma waste converters, uh, which use a plasma torch in a giant furnace. You put waste in there. Non-organic waste liquefies and turns into slag. Mm -hmm. Organic waste, anything with carbon in it, gasifies and turns into gas that can be scrubbed chemically to turn into syngas. That would be very similar to biogas. So Uh, uh,
2: Syngas, by the way, that stands for synthetic. Yes. If you couldn't. It, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, it's S Y N, not S I N. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's not not sinful gas. Yeah,
2: you're not that's, you're not fueling things based on your sins. Right?
1: No, that's that's a different type of gas it comes from Taco <laughs> Bell. Different type of thing entirely. <laughs> oh
2: man, if we could power cars from yeah, okay.
1: if we could, all right. Uh, all right. So anyway, yeah, those are the three major formats and really the the one that uh, most people are familiar with because it would be the kind that they would come in co- contact with in their daily lives. It would be the liquid versions, the biodiesel and ethanol. Mm-hmm. Um, solid and gas are typically more al- associated with uh, like cogeneration of power for things like waste waste. Disposal places, incinerators, uh, cement mixing facilities, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, also coal plants in Europe. There's some coal plants in Europe that have been used to just, instead of burning coal, burn these solid fuels, for example. Which uh, is interesting uh, because of lots of reasons, including the differences between how much energy is in one form versus another. We'll get to that in a second.
2: Uh, yeah, but before we get into that, let's talk about a couple of the other reasons why people are interested in, in making this shift. Uh, I mean, aside from the time span of renewable that we talked about earlier.
1: Sure. So a big one is the carbon output, right? The the green reason for switching to biofuels.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, reducing that carbon footprint, that uh, th- those emissions of Carbon dioxide and et cetera that go into our air that
1: contribute to climate change. Mm-hmm. Greenhouse gases uh, in general are a big concern, and it is true that most biofuels – would generate significantly lower levels of carbon dioxide while burning the fuel mm-hmm. than gasoline or oil,
2: and of course they still would produce some amount of carbon dioxide because yep. that's generally what happens when you burn stuff.
1: Yep, there would be there would be levels that would just be lower. Also, you have to keep in mind, uh, and we'll talk more about this later that there's more going into this than just the burning of the fuel, right? There's the production of the fuel, how you process it, how you harvest the biomass, how you grow it, how you transport it. So all of those things also contribute to a carbon footprint. You have to look at the big picture, not just what happens when you burn the fuel. And that's where things get a little more complex. And we'll go into more detail about that in a bit.
2: Not complex at all. Yeah. Well, that sounds totally easy to suss out.
1: Yeah. Also, <laughs> um, there, there are some other... Uh, reasons why people have been touting biofuels over fossil fuels?
2: Uh, Oh, sure. Well, I mean, there's the entire political concept of of petroleum and all of the contentious situations that it can get nations into.
1: Sure, yeah. The fact that if you live in a nation where you're getting a significant amount of your oil from foreign sources, it be- means that your nation is dependent upon those foreign sources. And if those foreign sources either decide no longer to sell you that oil or sell it at an elevated price, or you get into a political conflict, you being your country, really, uh- <laughs> not not you personally. Like I was on the phone with the entire nation (laughs) of, you know, uh, (laughs) Iraq. And as a result, gas is going to be really expensive for the next three months. That would be... Jonathan,
2: what did I tell you about calling Iraq? I
1: know, I know. I just, I was watching The Simpsons and it just seemed like it was so funny when Bart would call it Mo and I thought, oh, I want to do that. Um, No, (laughs) When I say you, I, I do mean country. So if a country comes into conflict with another one and they depend upon that other country for some of their source of oil, that's a problem. It's an It could lead to an energy crisis. We've seen this happen in the past multiple times. Throughout the world, not just in the United States. Of course, that's the one that Lauren and I are most familiar with. Perhaps I'm a little more familiar with Lauren because I don't think you were born when the last one really happened. <laughs> uh,
2: but I was not, in fact.
1: Yeah, but at any rate, the uh, you know, it, going to biofuels, you could potentially grow all of your fuel at home, so you can make it a domestic fuel source rather than a foreign fuel source. Even if it just means that you're offloading some of your oil needs, so that you are supplementing them with biofuel, it could mean that that you are able to get a little more control over your energy needs, and it could improve national security as a result. So there is a political motivation for investing in renewable sources of fuel, also renewable energy in general, you'll hear that argument used a lot in renewable energy, whether it's geothermal or uh, hydro powered you know wind powered solar powered whatever it may be that tends to be one of the big arguments is get get off the dependence of foreign oil absolutely so those are your big ones uh, also I mean depending upon the situation uh, you might be able to produce biofuels more cheaply than you would be able to produce or purchase oil or gasoline. And so there's a financial incentive there from a consumer standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that you could buy the same kind of – or, you know, fuel that can do the same sort of things as what you had depended upon before, but at a lower price. Now, as it turns out, that's not true across the board, but it could be true in certain cases depending on where you are, when it is, and what kind of fuel you're you're using.
2: Uh, Yes, Uh, and and the amount of mass production that you can squeeze into something. Yes. Uh, So – a lot of a lot of the discussion about biofuels has really been uh fiery. That's like a really bad pun. I apologize. No, it's, it's um, a
1: fantastic pun. The,
2: <laughs> own it uh, for, for for the past uh, maybe like like ten years or so. Yeah. Um, but the idea of using biofuels is certainly not new.
1: Right. Yeah. First of all, we've got the the ancient ones. You know, fire, discovery of fire, using wood to wood. make fire, yeah. I and mean, that's we've been using biofuels for. Ages,
2: uh, Sure. And their use in motor vehicles is actually pretty ancient, too. I, I mean, like, as far as motor vehicle history mm-hmm. goes, uh, Rudolf Diesel himself originally envisioned vegetable oil as a motor fuel and his engine at the 1900 World Exhibition in Paris ran on peanut oil. Yep. Probably smelled delicious. Probably uh, Henry Ford also tried ethanol with his Model T. And through the kind of tight pocket times of the 1930s and 40s, vegetable oils were sometimes used as diesel engine fuel. Yeah. And then petroleum kind of happened. Yeah. Um, it, it proved a lot cheaper and more efficient than biodiesels. And so they won out. And it wasn't until a few things happened in the 1970s and 80s that the U.S. revisited the idea. First off, the EPA passed the Clean Air Act in 1970, and that set new standards for, for pollutants and vehicle emissions. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, it, it became profitable for companies to start looking into alternate energy sources. Right. Um, also, hey, political turmoil in the Middle East. It, it more than doubled the world price of crude oil from 1979 to 1981, like $14 a barrel to I think like $35 a barrel.
1: Yeah, more than doubling is is bad, and and that's what also led to rushes on gasoline stations. You had gasoline shortages; it was a nightmare.
2: Oh yeah, and and the prices have never returned to those pre-turmoil points. Yeah, uh, I think they evened out at something like twenty-eight uh, uh, dollars. Twenty-eight dollars a barrel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so. So the first international conference on plant and vegetable oils was held in 1982. I did
1: not know such a thing had existed.
2: It does. It's glorious. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, of, of course, since then, further acts from the EPA have also driven development of biofuel knowledge and technology here in the U.S. And in the rest of the world, the The, the interest in biodiesel is really booming. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brazil and China are the other two largest producers mm-hmm. of biodiesels. Um Uh, After the United States and in in India in 2008, for example, a national biofuel policy set the goal of replacing 20 percent of the petroleum diesel fuel in the country with biodiesel. By when? I'm not sure. (laughs) But they set that goal. And uh, the European Union produces a whole lot, too. Yeah,
1: I actually read an interesting report that was obviously published in the European Union. Because of all the figures being in euros, which
2: it's a tip off. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Made it made a little tricky for me to figure out how much is that in real money? Uh, of course that's just a, just, just a little, little, uh, joke there. I I do consider euros to be very real money, (laughs) but at any rate, um, you know, there are a lot of things you have to take into account with biofuels that make it this complicated issue where you can't just say, oh, biofuels are good, fossil fuels are bad, let's switch to biofuels, because there are some things you have to take into consideration. Some of them may involve trade-offs. Uh, for example, you might have to say, well, we're going to have to limit our use if we switch over to this because of supply issues or the energy that is contained within the fuel, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And if you're willing to make that change, then it may end up being the right choice.
2: Full bio steam ahead, yeah.
1: But there are other issues too that make it even more complicated. So first we have to talk about specific energy versus energy density. Uh, these are both very important uh, concepts as far as energy content is concerned. Now that's the amount of potential energy represented by the fuel. It's whatever work you can do by burning that fuel.
2: Uh right because of course uh, you know an ounce of of hamster and an ounce of wood aren't yeah. going to get you the same No. output. I'm sorry. I've the done some experiments and
1: proved <laughs> Proves that hamsters are not worth their ounce. Do not,
2: do not fuel. use hamsters for fuel. No, I'm please a terrible don't. person. Just, oh, no.
1: I'm just thinking about like, I'm having these terrible mental images of the the boiler room on the Titanic, <laughs> <laughs> shovels full of hamsters, and it's just the screaming is terrible. Oh
2: no! Okay,
1: okay. all right. I'm all right. I'm go, I'm a bad person. Okay, so let's talk about specific energy and energy density. Uh, so different fuels provide different amounts of energy for comparable amounts, or you know whether you're talking about mass or volume. Mm-hmm. And specific energy is talking about. Mass. It's the amount of potential energy within a fuel per unit of mass of that fuel. So if we're using the proper scientific units, we would be talking about joule per kilogram of fuel or more likely uh, kilojoule of kilogram per kilogram of fuel. Okay. Energy density refers to the amount of potential energy within a fuel per unit of volume. And volume and mass are two different things, right? Of course density plays a big part here. So, if we're talking about the scientific units again, we'll we'll be talking about joules per liter of fuel. So, let's take a look at the energy content of biofuels versus gasoline. Uh this is what I I gathered this data from lots of different sources. Uh and here's the thing is that the data on this stuff can vary widely because there are so many different means of production and so many different crops and the types of biofuels you can produce from these different things are not all equal. So there's generally a range of what these, these different fuels, uh, how much energy they represent. Sure. Um, so keep that in mind that any figures we give are kind of estimations or ranges. Let's start with gasoline though because that's the one that you know we're trying to replace, mm-hmm. right? At least as far as cars go. Uh, we could talk about oil as well, but uh, I'm specifically referring to gasoline. Gasoline's energy content ranges from 112,114 to 116,090 BTUs per gallon. And I know you're thinking, hey, you just gave me all those scientific units. Why are you saying BTUs per gallon? What's a BTU? Who are you? What podcast am I listening to? Why
2: did gallon suddenly come into the equation? Yeah. Uh,
1: okay, so that's because this is the way this particular source had worded it. But don't worry, I did some work for you. So BTU stands for British Thermal Unit. And just in case you're curious, one BTU is the energy needed to heat one pound of water by one degree Fahrenheit.
2: Thank you, Britain.
1: Yeah. Keep in mind that a gallon is eight pounds of water. So, or, you know, so one pound of water is not a gallon.
2: <laughs> okay, so a BTU is equivalent to...
1: 1055 joules. Okay. So just over a kilojoule.
2: Okay, so, uh, converting gallons to liters. Right,
1: okay, so three points, blah, 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 liters per gallon. Okay, I did all this, I went to a conversion website because I was not trusting my math. Because once you start getting into all this dividing and my, and my, and um, and you're and you're multiplying and stuff, uh, you're no longer just adding. I know uh, you're
2: just some, just a simple Georgia uh, boy. Yeah,
1: you know I come from simple stock folks, and I'm an English literature major <laughs> at heart. Uh, so I I did a conversion using a website, and it's about thirty two thousand two hundred kilojoules per liter. So that's that's gasoline.
2: Okay. Uh, what about diesel? Because diesel is different, of course, than gasoline. It has
1: higher energy content than gasoline. Okay. Uh, which is one of the reasons why it's being used in these really large vehicles. Sure. Because it has much higher energy content. Uh, it is around 128,488 BTUs per gallon or, going into the scientific units, 35,800 kilojoules per liter. Now, pure biodiesel contains more energy per unit of volume than gasoline, but less than diesel. Okay. So you've got, you've got gasoline and diesel. Biodiesel is smack dab in between them as far as energy content per volume is considered.
2: Okay. Um But that is probably, in fact, why biodiesel is frequently blended with diesel, yes. as we mentioned earlier in the podcast.
1: Right. So you can blend it with regular diesel, and that's when you get something like B20, which is the 20 percent biodiesel, 80 percent diesel. This reduces the carbon emissions of diesel when you burn it. So there is a benefit there. Mm-hmm. However, it also decreases the energy content. Uh It's uh, got... About... 99% Ninety-nine percent the energy as regular diesel, so oh, close.
2: Yeah, that's that's not bad. For, just
1: a, just a slight step down. Twenty percent. Yeah, addition. That, it has a hundred and nine percent the energy of of gasoline, but then you don't run a diesel engine on gasoline. You should not. Know. No, don't don't try it. Um,
2: <laughs> I like that we're amassing a list of things that you don't want to yeah, run. Yeah, your normal many car you engine. you do not on. wish to want to do. Yeah, yeah. Diesel, yeah. biodiesel, uh, peanut oil, hamsters. Right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> there's a whole list of things. So B100 would be pure biodiesel. That one has a lower uh uh energy um content than than diesel does. It does still have higher than gasoline. It's like 103% of what gasoline has. So it's still better than gasoline is for its respective ability to do work, but less even less than diesel. And uh, like we said there's some other issues with biodiesel as well.
2: Uh sure. Okay. Uh what about ethanol?
1: All right. Ethanol. A good old corn gasoline
2: corn ethanol yeah
1: it's uh, of course corn is the the premier source of ethanol here in the united states
2: uh partially because of laws that uh some people say are influenced overly by the corn lobbies
1: yeah uh iowa we're looking at you yeah you know uh,
2: but at any rate, yeah, um, mostly made from corn here in here the, in the US. U.S.
1: Yeah, and in other places like in Brazil, it's sugarcane, cane. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other sources as well, and like we said earlier, there are a lot of different potential sources for ethanol, and a lot of uh, researchers are looking into those to find out ones that would be uh, the most advantageous. At any rate. Ethanol does not have the same energy content as gasoline. It has about 73 to 83% of the energy of an equivalent amount of gasoline. So gallon to gallon, we're talking 73 to 83% of the same amount of energy represented there. So in other words, if you want to go a certain distance, you're going to need more ethanol to get there than you would gasoline, mm-hmm. all right? Also, you would probably want to have very special uh, fixtures in your engine so that you're your tubes wouldn't rot away, but <laughs> but that's another issue. So ethanol, like biodiesel, tends to be used in blends. So E10 would be a blend of 10% ethanol to 90% gasoline. Again, it lowers the carbon emissions that you would get if you were just using pure gasoline. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has about 96.7% of the energy of an equivalent amount of pure gasoline. Okay. So, so it's, again, a small step down Mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things. Uh, if you were to look at something like methanol, that's less than half the amount of energy content of an equivalent amount of gasoline. And you can look at other stuff too, like you could look at, uh, um, natural gases, things like, yeah, or, or even, uh, liquefied gases like, um, propane. Mm -hmm. Now those, Some of those have very high energy content, but I didn't really look at those specifically because we were were really focusing on biofuels as opposed to the kind of stuff that you would sort of siphon off of um, uh, natural gas. Like, usually we get propane from when we do, uh, oil mining or natural gas, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, r- yeah, it's one of the
2: byproducts.
1: Which can be incredibly useful. Oh, of course. Yeah. But yeah. not biomass. Yeah. So M-
2: maybe, maybe if you guys are interested in hearing a whole lot of other numbers about <laughs> fuel types, uh, we can do a whole nother podcast about it.
1: Yeah. And in fact, it, it's, it's good to look into it because it teaches you to really start looking at the broader picture mm-hmm. and to ask the questions that need to be answered before you can just categorically say, oh, here is the fuel of the future because
2: right. X. Right. Uh, speaking of that broader picture, yeah. I love that, that our next little bit in the notes here says, here's where it gets complicated. Yeah. As though the rest of this has just been <laughs> so a dreamy walk in the park. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I took, I took a, a note from a stuff they don't want you to know, you know. Instead of, <laughs> here's where it gets crazy. Here's where it gets here's, crazy. Here's where it gets complicated. <laughs> all right, so like we said, if it were just a question of energy content, you could take a look at these things and say, all right, this is close enough to gasoline where the difference in performance is is insignificant Comparable. compared. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's you don't have to worry about that considering the benefit of the reduced carbon emission, for mm-hmm. example, or sure. the reduced price.
2: But but, uh, but but we have to take that other stuff about how it's produced yes. and transported and how an entire industry could possibly be formed around those those things.
1: Yeah, so biomass or biofuels come from biomass. You have to grow that biomass somehow. That means you have to dedicate land to growing the fuel stock mm-hmm. that you're going to be using, whether that's the stuff that you are directly converting into fuel or that's the stuff that will be producing whatever you use for fuel.
2: Uh, sure, and that's land that might otherwise be used to grow food yes. or to graze cows or yeah. to... I have a really fun state park. I'm not sure, you know, like, like <laughs> yeah. any number of things.
1: Yes. And, and these are, these are real issues. It's not so simple. In fact, one of the biggest, uh, concerns about biofuels and getting behind them is that it could drive food prices up mm-hmm. because let's set uh, a scenario. Let's say that you are in a, a country where there is a strong incentive to move toward biofuels for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, So you create subsidies, tax breaks or actual direct subsidies to farmers to say, grow these types of crops for fuel because we need to meet our energy needs for the population. And so in order to do that, we have to grow a a huge amount of fuel stock so that we can convert it into fuel and then everyone can drive their cars everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so the farmers say, well, I can make way more money taking in these subsidies Dedicating this land to a growing fuel stock than I ever would growing food. So I'm going to stop growing food. So fewer and fewer farmers are growing food. That means that the ones that are growing food, that, that resource becomes more and more precious. As a result, because it's more precious well, supply and supply and demand.
2: Supply is lower, demand is, is equal. Yeah,
1: demand is demand is the same. We still gotta eat. <laughs> then those food prices start to go up, and then that could end up being a really slippery slope that could lead to some dangerous consequences down the road.
2: Mm-hmm, sure. I mean, and especially in countries that are uh, perhaps less lucky than the United States sure. in, in having less land mass to work with.
1: Yeah. 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 So this is one of those things, and we have seen this happen uh, specifically in Iowa, where we've seen corn prices change because mm-hmm. of the the fuel. So. Now, that's not to say that there aren't ways to work around this and solve this issue. Certainly. It's, it's just that at least in the short term, it tends to have this thing where we have the unintended consequences come out, right? So that's a big part of it is uh, is uh the food prices. Also, again, depending on how you're making this stuff, how you are growing it, maybe you're using fertilizer, uh, how you harvest it, how you process it. All of that has a carbon footprint, right? So you have to start looking at the collective picture. Out of all the stuff that goes into producing this fuel, how much carbon dioxide are you producing? If it's, if it's getting close to what we're doing with fossil fuels, then it's harder to make the argument that it's greener. Right. Especially since a lot of biofuels also produce things like sulfur dioxide, which can lead to acidification of water supplies, acid rain, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus, if you're using fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, that kind of stuff in order to grow your fuel stocks. Rain could wash that into the water table.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. That of course has an uh, impact on the overall environment as well.
1: Yeah, and I mean there there are folks in in northern Louisiana who say that the reason why there's a dead zone there is because of the runoff from Iowa, Ugh. from the cornfields. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that it's it's a a real impact. It's and it's again something that you wouldn't necessarily first associate with biofuel because you're looking at a different part of the equation. But you got to look at the big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you also have to figure out with that energy density, does it make actual sense based upon your needs? How much of the biomass are you going to have to grow mm-hmm. to meet the same needs as what you're being able to fulfill using fossil fuels?
2: Uh, right. If if you're only getting, I mean, e- even a reasonable like 96.7 percent of the energy out of this stuff. Th- at what point? I mean, I mean, you know, you have to really do the math and go like, is it worth it?
1: Yeah, exactly. If If you're. If your net energy is lower <laughs> than uh, what you put into it, then that's bad. We talked about this with fusion.
2: Oh, right. I was just about to say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Same sort of thing. Fusion where...
2: totally works. It just doesn't work well.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the problem. We can, we can get a fusion reaction going. We can even get more energy out of the reaction than we put into it, finally. It took years <laughs> for uh-huh. us to be able to get there. But we still can't uh, consume enough of the fuel for it to be worth our while to make that an energy source. Right now, there's mm-hmm. still we have people working on it to to advance the science to the point and technology to a point where we can rely on fusion. But same sort of thing with biofuels, right? Like if you are pouring so much energy to produce the fuel that it's more than what is represented by the fuel itself, that's a losing proposition. Mm-hmm. And uh, you look at it by creating a ratio, and that energy ratio, and. That is, is essentially a number, and as long as the number is above one, <laughs> you are getting more energy out than you were putting in. Uh-huh. And, uh, that's important. So gasoline is way ahead of the game on this. Like, depending upon, uh, you know, depending upon how oil supplies are at any given time and how you're getting the oil, you're looking at around 15, a number of 15, which Oof. is, that's much that's higher than huge. one. Yeah, yeah. For most biofuels you're looking at maybe 1.3 Ugh. to 2. Uh-huh. Some of them go a little higher than that. And also again like I said it depends on how you get the oil. If you're getting your oil from oil sands, that's closer to a 5 for the oil. So much lower than what, you know, gasoline would typically be. And it also has a greater negative environmental impact. Sure. So your your environmental impact per unit of oil is much greater that way. So you gotta take all of this into consideration. That's why I said here's where it gets complicated. <laughs> so other things you have to think about, uh, what if you were to, uh, look at a different means of creating your biofuels? So instead of going out and planting corn as just, that's just for biofuel, what if you were to plant the corn as a food crop but then you are converting all the rest of the stuff, the husks and the stalks.
2: The, all, all the waste.
1: Yeah. All the things that normally you would not – you just have to throw that away because it's not edible. Mm-hmm. What if you were to convert that into fuel? Those are the questions people are asking now. Like how can we double up so right, that right. – It's kind of like a cogeneration thing. Yeah. We're generating yeah. food and fuel at the same time. Mm-hmm. Thus – that way, we could perhaps get around this issue of driving up food prices while still meeting some of our fuel needs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh,
2: yeah, the, the EPA is calling those types of fuels advanced biofuels, and mm. they they're also including that category stuff like like a, a restaurant waste uh, from your grease traps and, and any kind of fryer situation or anything like right. that. So, uh, and and actually, the the EPA in that new proposal of theirs recommended a 27% increase in those types of biofuels cool. in the next few years. So. so,
1: yeah, I mean, it's it's good that we have people looking ahead on the, these issues because, again, oversimplification is just going to end up causing bigger problems down the road. So we have to take this stuff into, into account. Uh, and the economics, that's important, too, right? I mean, it's not just the environmental impact. It's not just an energy. It's all of these things. Oh,
2: sure, sure. I mean, it's it's, it's nice to it, it's more heartwarming to think about the environmental impact. But yeah. you have to think about the money, too, of course. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because if it's one of those things where, you know, it's it's going to be demonstrably much more expensive to go from fossil fuel to biofuel, it's a lot harder to do. I mean, it it could mean it's that, harder
2: to convince scientists to do the research because yeah. there's no money in it. It's hard <laughs> to convince farmers to make it happen because there's no money. In it, it. It. It's, it's harder
1: to convince consumers that hey, it's okay that that fuel prices have gone up a dollar a gallon because the fuel is different now. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I mean it's just it's tough. it's not easy. and that's you know, it doesn't mean that it's not worth doing. I always want to point that out like I, I like to address the challenges not as a means of discouraging people. Right. But rather as acknowledging the things that we have to take into account to overcome in order to reach that future that we want to get to. So, uh, I don't want everyone to think I'm being super Debbie Downer. Uh, I just want, I just want to be realistic and, and, and it may mean that some biofuels make a great sense for us to invest in mm-hmm. and other biofuels might be more uh, dangerous. I mean, we haven't even really talked about it, but another Potential downfall with going with biofuels is that it could create an incentive to create more deforestation to clear Mm -hmm. out land to grow fuel stock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and forests are a great carbon sink. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Whereas Uh, biomass, biomass is good. I mean, the idea being as long as you're growing the same amount as you're using, then you're staying carbon neutral. Mm -hmm. But that's an assumption, right? right? That one, that you're able to do that. And two, that, you know, you do do it, <laughs> not just that you're able, but you actually do it. And, uh, uh, of course, biofuels would also be subject to things like drought or flooding, stuff that would uh, – anything that could affect food crops could affect fuel crops as well. Mm-hmm. So, And
2: since we don't have weather control quite working yet.
1: Yeah, Cobra Commander has not cracked that egg yet. Cobra Commander,
2: you are slacking. You
1: tried so many times, and yet we don't have weather control.
2: Work it out, man.
1: Yeah, because obviously that would be a real that that would be a huge issue with national security. I mean, you could say, yeah, we're producing our fuel within our borders, but if you have a really awful drought in the same region as where you're growing most of your fuel, that's a nationwide shortage. Oh, yeah. And that's a huge problem. Yeah,
2: and it's not the kind of problem that, you know, if if you have a pumpkin shortage one year and all of a sudden Thanksgiving is a few bucks more expensive for right. everybody. That's, I mean, it's annoying. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to say I'm not annoyed by my pumpkin pie costing more I remind,
1: but that's why i had to switch to a uh, carving squash for halloween for like two years straight oh man it was tough
2: yeah those those butternuts are difficult to work with yeah they
1: just topple over and yeah i mean yeah i, I don't like to think about it. It, it it's it's coming from a place that's it's all full of pain so let's move on okay but let's talk about the future of biofuels. You know, we've talked a lot about the the various issues that are there and I, I mean it gets even more complicated than that, but I wanted to kind of lay out sort of the the big issues surrounding biofuels to explain why this it, this has you know been one of those things that has taken years and years and years to kind of adopt because it's not as cut and dry as you would first think. The nice thing to note is that there are a lot of researchers working very hard to make biofuels a more viable alternative to fossil fuels in the future. In 2014, I read about a, uh, a pair of studies, actually, that were both published in Science at the same time, uh, and in one of them, there were some Danish scientists who were using genetically modified yeast to produce biofuel in a more efficient way than previous methods. Uh, yeah, go yeast. yeah, they're specifically creating well, I mean, you can guess because they're using yeast. so biofuel would probably be ethanol, which is a type of alcohol. So you know yeast, you being using yeast yeast to ferment sugars into alcohol not that's something that we <laughs> that a lot of us have heard a lot about.
2: that's that's something that makes both beer. Bread and wine, I believe, yeah. work. So yeah,
1: yeah, you're not, you're not, because uh, yeah, you've got to have something to to convert the the sugars into the alcohol and the fermentation process, and yeast typically is that thing. So yeast, you've got this organism that's able to process sugars and uh, it ferments them, creates the alcohol and well,
2: it, it excretes um yeah, the alcohol. It's yeah.
1: essentially pooping out alcohol. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the problem that yeah, the problem that they were running into or one of the limitations they were running into is that the the ideal operating temperatures to produce ethanol were higher than what the yeast could tolerate. Okay. So if the yeast could just tolerate a little bit more heat, they could produce ethanol at a much more efficient rate.
2: Oh, uh hence the genetic modification.
1: Yes, they were able to identify a single gene and change it. And they were able to have the yeast tolerate much higher temperatures. And so uh folks at MIT think that with some improvements to this method that was first revealed in 2014 – There could be an increase in ethanol production efficiency by 80%. So almost doubling the efficiency. And now you're really talking about like, well, yeah, the ethanol we talked about earlier has lower energy content than gasoline. But if you're able to produce it efficiently enough so that you can balance out that and, you know, take other factors into consideration as well, it also may mean lowering the price of ethanol, then that could be huge. Oh, yeah. So
2: that could be the boost it needs.
1: Uh, there's also been a lot of talk about using algae. Uh, various types of algae to uh, process or, or create biofuels. Uh, very attractive, especially since there are large areas that we could harvest tons of algae. I even saw one guy who suggested an interesting proposal in which you would have algae harvesting ships running on nuclear power and using the nuclear power to gasify huh. the algae to turn it into biogas uh so instead of using nuclear power to just generate electricity the way the navy uses uh, nuclear sure. power these would actually have biogas furnaces essentially you know burning or not technically burning but heating up uh heating up biomass to the point of gasification mm-hmm.
2: making warm yes yeah, to
1: create that syngas huh. we were talking about yeah, so yeah cool it's an interesting idea although if you've listened to our episode on nuclear power <laughs>
2: Uh, yes, also tricky. There's a, there's a lot more mathematical legwork to do in sussing yeah. out whether that's a really good idea or yeah, not. Sure. Yeah,
1: So go back and listen to our episode on nuclear power to learn more about, about that series of pitfalls. Uh, and there's also research about turning uh, those agricultural byproducts I was talking about earlier mm-hmm. into fuel. So the idea of being, making more efficient use of plants so that you know, we don't have to sacrifice food crops for fuel crops. We can do, we can oh. use both for the same thing. It's just we used all the non-edible parts of the plant to make our fuel. Uh, again, whether or not you could produce enough to serve your entire country's needs would depend largely on a country by country basis. Um, and uh, it might mean that even if we switch to biofuels, that some countries would have to import a lot of that fuel. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't change things dramatically for,
2: for everyone across the board right. all the time in all cases. But it's really nifty that we're working on ways to work that out.
1: Yeah, and that the, the carbon emissions would drop dramatically. Keep in mind that the, the issues that we have with the emissions are that uh, with fossil fuels, you get a lot of carbon, which – has a global effect in climate change. Largely, biofuels don't have as big of a global impact. They don't, they do not emit as much carbon when you burn them. However, they do have a much more localized impact, like that acidification I was talking about earlier. There are also some concerns that it could be uh, releasing various uh, types of nitrogen into the atmosphere of nitrous oxides into the atmosphere that could lead to um, ozone depletion. Oh. So yeah. yeah, they're still some, not good. Yeah. Still very localized, <laughs> but but not good. Um, yeah, so there are, you know there are trade offs that you have to really take into consideration before you you make this change. But really, what I think you know, obviously, what I'm trying to drive home here is that anytime we talk about energy concerns, it's very important to look at the big picture. And to really look at how each element can affect us and decide whether that actually is a logical step or that maybe that's maybe we need to look at other alternatives, because once you really commit to one of these, it could be. You know, you could be set on that path. It might not be easy for you to, to, to get, off, get of off of that. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, it's kind of like we are right now with petroleum. We have an infrastructure and an economy that's more than a century old, and it's really hard to switch off of it, even when you know the downsides, yeah,
2: yeah, and, and we, we've talked about that when we've talked about electric vehicles and stuff yeah. like that, mm-hmm. where you know, and, and that is starting to change, which is fabulous. As more car companies are producing more vehicles with uh, electric motors, right, we are seeing that infrastructure slowly being built up.
1: Yeah, and and, uh, and hopefully that will. Ultimately lead to a more environmentally friendly means of us getting around, uh, as well as long, as long as we also make that investment in the generation of electricity. Uh, obviously. sure,
2: because as we have said when we've discussed this before, if yeah. you're just burning coal to, yeah, to make that, to make elect- the
1: electricity so that your car goes vroom vroom, mm-hmm. or I guess not vroom vroom because it doesn't make that noise. Just yeah, goes, that- that's exactly the sound it makes. <laughs> there's, a little, there's a little chirp and then nothing. <laughs> Uh so yeah uh, uh, obviously big picture thinkers that's what we like to promote here on forward thinking and i think a lot of our listeners are that way too they they realize that cuz we get your feedback we get your your points where you you say you know you're looking at something very specifically and often that's cuz we're focusing on a particular point but we do want to stress that it's always good to take that that bird's eye view to really see, you know, what are the implications of this beyond just the, the, the immediate carbon emissions? Of course. So this was fun. I mean, it was fun in a sense of, of <laughs> here's a whole bunch of data about energy, y'all. But I mean, i I love talking about this cause, uh, it's really important and uh, it's something that I really believe we need to look closely into. So, but I want to hear more about what our listeners think.
2: Uh, yeah, and they can, in fact, get in touch with us to do that.
1: Yeah, there are a couple of ways you can you can write us. There's an email address. It's fwthinking at dot com, or you can drop us a line on Google Plus or Twitter or the Facebook. At Twitter and Google Plus, we are fwthinking at the Facebook. Just search fwthinking in the search bar. We will pop right up. Leave us a message. We read all of them. We really enjoy them. Thanks, guys, for continuing to give us suggestions because they're awesome. Yes. And we will talk to you again really soon.
0: For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com.
2: Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places.